Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Is God good this morning? Amen. Amen. I want to greet you all. I want to greet those of you that are uh, joining us uh, online. Welcome uh, to, to the service. We're glad that you could be here with us. Um, and we are looking forward <clears throat> to rounding off what has been a, such a, 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 an intriguing uh, sermon series. I hope that this is a sermon series that's been encouraging some really good reflection and conversation um, in your circles, in connect groups, hopefully some awkward conversation um, in, in there, pe- peppered in there. We need a little bit of awkward uh, sometimes as we're building. Um, hopefully, uh, it's uh, driven you uh, to a little bit of confession also. Um, confession is godly, amen. <clears throat> is shame in the house? Shame is not in the house, amen. So confession is good because confession uh, brings us closer to God. It removes the shame, removes the hindrances. So I hope, I hope that this, this, uh, the, the conversations that we've been having and the conversation uh, uh, that we're going to have together uh, today is going to lead us uh, towards repentance and, and, and confession um, as, as we cultivate our relationship with Jesus. So we started uh, this journey by looking at, uh, we wanted to establish this idea uh, that sexual purity is something that you fight for throughout your life, yeah. not just in your single years. The purity is not something that, that, sexual purity is not something that matters as long as I'm single, I get married, whew, and I can relax. I don't have to worry about sexual purity. Um, sexual purity is something we fight for all of our lives. <clears throat> we also wanted uh, to, to establish that when we talk about sexual purity, that we're talking about the, the full spectrum of what the Bible calls sexual immorality, from sexual penetration to, 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 to some form of simulation, fantasy, and everything else in between. That is sexual immorality. And that if we are dabbling in any of these spaces outside of the context of our marriage that we need to repent and do better and cultivate a, a, a better relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we, we then uh, moved from there and we wanted to explore the concept of, of sexual healing and not Marvin Gaye's idea of sexual healing, <laughs> but God's idea of sexual healing. <laughs> Marvin says, get up, I need it now. <laughs> God says, get up and do work on yourself so you can become whole. And bring a better version of yourself into your relationships and into your marriage bed. Doesn't quite gel with the R&B like jam, but, but it's still true. And... Um, and so having, having gone into that, what we're establishing is there really isn't a lot of a room for us. There's no excuse to be saying the reason I, I don't get along, the reason relationships don't work, the reason I'm abusive, the reason I take advantage of others is because 
Um, I experienced some bad things, some negativity. I was broken in certain areas. There is healing. And we, the, 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 the invitation is wide open for all of us to step into the healing so that we are walking out a journey of wholeness and we bring something better into relationships. Amen. Amen. Last week we looked at, uh, at, at uh, boundaries, setting, setting healthy, good boundaries, getting a good perspective on what they are, why we set these boundaries, such that we are actually protecting the, the intimate relationship we have with Jesus. Because if we don't have good boundaries in our lives, it's going to affect the quality of relationship that we have with Jesus. And so our perspective on, 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 on boundaries doesn't become restrictive and, 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 and do's and don'ts. It becomes something that we use to express value. And we use that to express that we value the people around us, we value the word of God, and we value relationship with him. And so therefore we look after um, our boundaries. And today uh, we're going to close off with with a, a, a view towards how God restores. Where, what was the original picture that God had painted for us that, is, that, that, that gives us a good perspective on, on sexuality, uh, on marriage, and on sexual identity? Where did we go from there, and what is our way back? And so that is that's our journey uh, for the time that we have together this morning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. So we get this picture at the very beginning of what God's idea was. What was it that he instituted and what was it that he had designed? And so therefore, what was it that he intended to be rolled out into the world and into society? Because we know that this picture was, he, 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 looked at, he looked at it and he defined it. And God's definition of this picture was, it is very good. And it didn't last very long. It wasn't very good for very long. Because sin comes in and, and, and wrecks the whole picture and brings corruption and brings degeneration and everything that we live in today is as a result of the corruption that came in through the original sin. So, the original plan for sex, for marriage, and for sexual identity. Before the fall, God had intended Sex for our pleasure. Did you know that the penis has 4,000 nerve endings attached to the, to the pleasure center of the brain? Yeah. 
<laughs> Pastor, just, just read the Bible and just like... <laughs> we don't talk about those things in church. The vagina has 8,000 nerve endings attached to the pleasure center of the brain. Now, that messes with my psyche a little bit. And it was made even worse when I realized that women can achieve multiple orgasms in sex and that they last longer. Who was sex created for? I, I grew up being taught that sex primarily was made for the man's pleasure and that the woman was there to facilitate. I grew up being told that women didn't really enjoy sex. Ladies. In fact, I was told that if you find, I, I, literally, uh, uh, this is how this is what I, what I was told. If you if you find that your wife is enjoying sex too much, she's probably cheating on you. She's a loose woman, because the idea was <laughs> it was it was it was like the, the idea was that that ma- the man is the one who enjoys sex, and so therefore, if a woman is enjoying sex, there's something wrong with that. In fact. Uh, without getting into it too much, we know that some of the, even the cultural practices and customs were designed to kind of curb the, the, the level of enjoyment uh, that a woman can experience in, in sex. And yet God made sex for our pleasure. His intention was when he put Adam in the garden and put Eve next to him, that they would have sex and enjoy it. That it would be an expression of something beautiful. And apparently that Eve would enjoy it more. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that with Jesus when we, when we get to heaven. No. Um, God created sex for our pleasure. God created sex for procreation. These are kind of the the, the, the initial things that we see right at the beginning before the fall. So Proverbs uh, 5 says, let, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Can I get an amen? amen. Here's a, there's a memory verse for you this week. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Sai says it's for those who are married. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> what did you learn at church on Sunday? I need to meditate on her breasts <laughs> at all times. <laughs> it's in the Bible, people. <laughs> Uh, uh, verse 15 says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only for your own and not for strangers with you. Here's a hint. That's not talking about water. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy sex at home. 
and do not disperse your strength. Do not disperse your joy in the streets with strangers. It should be for your spouse in your marriage bed. Sex was created for our pleasure within the context of marriage. It's interesting that God had this idea that, and he seemed to be convinced about this, that pleasure and happiness was to be experienced within context and within constraints. So we have this idea in our culture today that if I am to experience true pleasure and ultimate joy, it means a throwing off of restraint. And all things must be uh, enjoyed and all things must be uh, welcome and all systems go and, and I must experience everything and yes to everything and no to nothing. That is our culture. And yet God is saying if you want to experience true fulfillment, it's within restriction. Why? Because this restriction brings stability and brings safety and brings a covering. So God was interested in covering and stability and trust that breeds intimacy. Ooh, we want this intimacy and we chase after it everywhere and we, and we try and find it by throwing off all restraint and practicing all things and trying this and dabbling in that, and yet God has said it is to be found within this context. Imagine that. In Malachi, says this, but did he not make one, did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Why did God make them one? He seeks a godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. He seeks a godly offspring, and so he has brought us together. And within the context of having brought us together, we enjoy each other. And as we enjoy each other, it produces fruit. And God enjoys that fruit. And so we produce a godly offspring. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. The wife of, his, of your youth is going like this right now. Is, yeah. <laughs> None deal treacherously. And so sex was created for our pleasure and for procreation. And yet, we fell. And, and, I, and I wanted to include the scripture from Genesis 4 that says, Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me and even a young man for hurting me. Look how long it took from the first chapter, very good, to I have two wives and I've killed a man. That is how long it took for us to become, to degenerate to this level of Perversion. And say perversion because that is what sex became. Something other than what it was intended for. That's what Pastor Greg taught me, is, is, is perversion. Using something other than what it was originally intended for. In any instance, is a perversion of that thing. And so, sex became 
perverted. I would even go so far as to say that sex that was a servant to Adam and Eve became a god. Sex became a god. What do I mean by that? The very things that we are supposed, that we are engineered to receive from God are the things that we attempt to receive from sex. We don't have to look far um, to kind of understand that. Just a, 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 a quick study of our culture will tell you that how, what, what is our relationship to sex? What do we use sex for? We use sex for affirmation. We use sex for identity. We use sex to feel wanted. We use sex to, to bring about a sense of stability in the relationship. We use sex to, 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 to come into agreement. We use sex to, to, uh, uh, to, to, to feel celebrated and accepted and to, and, to, and to heal when we feel rejected. We use sex for all of these things that we were actually engineered to get from God. And, and, and where, where do we see this in our society in its plainest form? Have you, have you ever watched porn? It's a good time to drink water. <laughs> like, does the pastor want us to answer? <laughs> we're going to break into groups now. And... <laughs> have you watched porn? I've watched porn. And I can tell you that the entire premise of pornography is that you, and I'm speaking from a male perspective, I as a man am completely masculine, completely desirable, nothing that I do is wrong, and this woman is just pleased out of her mind to be able to interact with me. And all things are permissible. And so what do I feel when I'm engaging with pornography? I feel an affirmation. I feel masculine. I feel accepted, or like a pseudo version of these things, right? Because it's, like, it's not the genuine article. It doesn't last. That's why we keep going back to these things, and they form themselves as addictions. Anybody who's, who's ever been addicted to something will tell you that there's no such thing as enough. There's no such thing as enough. If you're addicted to pornography, you, it's, it's, it's not enough. You keep going. If you're addicted to sex, it's not enough. If you're addicted to masturbation, it's not enough. You keep going. Even, even at the risk of self-harm. I'm using euphemisms. Euphemisms is... Um... <laughs> after the service, after the service. But... but <clears throat> So, so, so what do we do? We watch, you watch this thing, and then, and then, and then it, it, it gives you some, some, some false sense of what I was supposed to get from God. And so either through, through watching of pornography or through practice of what I saw, um, I'm trying to achieve something. I'm trying to find some kind of contentment, fulfillment, meaning, identity, affirmation, a sense of somebody saying, we, uh, uh, you, you're wanted, you're received, you're accepted, uh, you're attractive, whatever that thing is, I'm attempting to receive this. And so, of course, what we do is, uh, you've seen this thing, and, then not, and now you want to try and, 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 and take it home. 
And so now you're trying to swing from the chandeliers. <laughs> and, and your wife is going, ay, ay, ay. Where'd you get that from? <laughs> like, no, 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 um, no, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Why? Because I am attempting to receive identity and affirmation and satisfaction from my sex God. As opposed opposed to the God who actually created me and designed me to receive these things from him. And so it becomes this perversion that is destructive, that destroys relationships. Before, before the fall, marriage was designed for companionship and for commissioning. In Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 20 and 25, it says, So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And in verse 25, And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. And so the, the, in verse 25, the marriage is described. The, the first marriage and the original design and how it was supposed to be is described. They were naked, the man and his woman, and were not ashamed. And so we see that Adam went about the business of God. He was with God. He was in relationship with God. Ladies, when God brought Eve to Adam, he brought Eve to an Adam who was in relationship with him, on mission with him. I'm not going to preach on that right now, but hopefully there's a nugget for you to take home. Adam was about the business of God, and in doing so, a sense arises in him. But Lord, all these things that you've created are amazing and are beautiful, and I've been able to, to imbue upon them an identity, but none of them come close to me. I can't relate to any of them. I can't, I can't form an emotional connection with any of them. I can't share ideas with any of them. I can't converse and grow by engaging with any of them. And God says, aha, now you get it. So fall, he, he causes him to fall asleep and he creates this woman because it's on, upon the basis of revelation. That there, there was a need, there was a shortfall, and hence God placed this woman in the picture. That was the original design. And, and it says they were, they were naked and they were unashamed. They were transparent, it was pure, there was no shame, and it was a beautiful connection. Fast forward to today, what do we have? We, we do not get naked in front of each other. We, 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 we do not get transparent. We do not get vulnerable. Why? Because we are filled or our relationships have become filled with shame. Our marriages have become filled with shame and wounds and hurt. We still want the intimacy so we approach each other. But instead of being naked, we are clothed with armor. And we have shields and weapons. 
and we get close to each other, but just close enough that your shield can't touch me. And so if you throw your shield, I'm far enough that I can maneuver. But I want this intimacy and I can't get away from it. So we're trying to get close and we're trying to figure out how to do this dance with our shields and our armor on. And we inflict wounds on each other. And, 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 and we're trying to achieve intimacy, but all we experience is fallenness. And the good news is that since the time of the fall to the cross, up until this very day, God is in the business of regenerating and making all things new. And so within our relationships, within our marriages, there is hope because we have a hope that is set before us. And what is that hope that is set before us? All things are being made new. And so we have, we have the glimpses of the kingdom that show up in our, in our relationships and they show up in our marriages. And, and, and our drive and our goal is to increase those so that it moves from glimpses to, to reality. And that we experience more and more of the kingdom in our relationships, in our marriages, as, and in our sexuality. And so God made us for companionship. And, and the original idea of marriage also had commissioning. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The, over years... That, um, that, that I've been working with couples and that my wife and I, have been, Kulu and I, have been working with couples, there's one theme that I can point to with a, an insane amount of consistency that marriages that are focused inward breed unhealthiness. And, 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 and when, we've, when we've counseled and coached couples out of that inward focus towards what is God's commission over your relationship. We have seen a healthiness come in and a growth. Why? Because now we are about kingdom. Our relationship is gospel-centered. And we're no, it's no longer a selfish kind of self-contained thing. And so, the, so he gave them this commission. Not only am I calling you into companionship, to connect with one another, but also I'm calling you to go and to produce and to do and to partner together. That was, that was the original mandate. And again, we know it didn't stay there. It didn't stay there. In Genesis 3.16, when the serpent is tempting Eve, they're having this conversation. God said, we can enjoy everything that our eyes behold except for these two trees. Don't touch this one, don't touch, or don't eat of this, don't eat of this, and you'll be fine. The serpent says, no, um, that can't be the case. 
God didn't really say that you ought to, you shouldn't eat of this fruit. Why? Because he knows that if you eat the fruit, you'll be like him. What did Eve do? She ate the fruit. Eve and Orlando Pirates. I tried, I tried. I tried. Pastor Lindy said the pulpit is not the place for it. I held myself back. Guys, <laughs> I, I apologize, sort of. <laughs> okay, Pastor Simon wants me to make it very crystal clear that Kaiser Chiefs discipled Orlando Pirates. And so the consequence of the fall was that God says to, uh, to, to Eve, to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband is not a romantic, you will want to hold hands and walk through a field of flowers with your husband. In, in, in fact, we see it clearly uh, in, 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 in the NET, it actually says, um, you're, you're, you'll want to control your husband and he will oppress you. Um, we, we see it more clearly if we read in, in chapter 4, the next chapter here in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7, where, where uh, Cain has brought an offering to God, but God didn't like Cain's offering, and Cain is upset, and God uh, says to him, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Same word. It's desire. It's, it's that sense. Of, it's, not, it's not the romantic desire. It's a crouching beast that's waiting to pounce upon its prey. It's a desire to dominate. And so God is saying that as a consequence of the fall, you women are going to try and dominate and control your husband, and you husband are going to try and oppress the, the woman. What was once a safe environment where all were naked and there was no shame and no need to defend oneself is going to become a war zone. Some of us are living in war zones right now. And so, again, the hope that we have is that Jesus has overcome the curse. And the curse was that you are going to use whatever is in your powers to try and exert control over this one. And you are going to use whatever is in your powers to try and oppress this one. And of course, logically, if, you, if we think about the fact that the man was more physically powerful or is more physically powerful than the woman, then, then, then you, you, you multiply that over a couple of generations. You've got a culture where the man is the more physically dominant and higher on the, on the, on the, on the pecking order. You've multiplied that over a few more generations. You've got a system that is where, where, where uh, economically, 
the man has all the means and is at the top of the pecking order. You multiply that over many, many, many years and you get what we have today and we sometimes we refer to it in various ways and we talk about patriarchy and we talk about these systems. Where does it all come from, a system that is built for the man to sit on t- at the top of the food chain and for the woman to be at the bottom and to feel oppressed? It comes from the fall. That sense of, of injustice, that sense of being oppressed is not your imagination. It's the result of the fall. And when you try and manipulate me, I'm not making it up. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so we have explored these ideas of sex before, the, before and after the fall, marriage before and after the fall, and our sexual identity before and after the fall. In Genesis 5 2, God, uh, the Bible says, He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. There is a a very clear picture of how God created and what was the original design. And what was that original design? A man and a woman. Male and female. And... and, um, and Leviticus, and, and I've used Leviticus here as an Old Testament, Old Testament scripture. We can refer to other New, uh, New Testament scriptures that, that speak into this about how we were created and how we were meant to relate with one another. You shall not lie with the male as with the woman. It is an abomination. I'm just reading the Bible. And so God created a man and a woman. And that was the original design and the original design means everything that we are to understand about how things work we are to take from how god designed them and how he made them work now i know that in today's society in today's world this is not a a popular conversation to engage in And maybe there's a sense of discomfort in you even now as we're engaging. What I want to encourage you to do is to remain engaged. Remain engaged. Because what what, what we're saying is not pronouncing judgment. What we're saying is there is a design that God had mandated. And the design that God has mandated tells us how things ought to work. And after the fall... And we, we, we describe that instance in the garden where, where, where Eve is tempted by, by, by the serpent. This is what the serpent says. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the temptation for Eve and for Adam was if we eat this fruit and it opens our eyes, we will know what God knows. That means we will no longer have to rely on God. That means we will be able to define for ourselves what is good and what is bad. And that has been perpetuated from all the way in the garden to today. 
where we are still in the business of defining for ourselves what is good and what is bad. And so why does, so I, somebody said this to me not long ago. We were having a conversation and they said, I, I cannot believe in your God. I refuse to accept your God. Why? Because you're telling me that there is no way that I can believe that a good God would send my friend to hell simply because my friend is a homosexual. And here's the fundamental issue with that statement. We're beginning with ourselves in the center. We are still the definers. We're still fighting to define. So we're not starting with what God defines as good. We're saying we have an understanding and agreed upon thing of what good is and it's what makes sense to me and what is comfortable to me and what has a good outworking for me and what allows myself to express myself the way I want to express myself and if God can't fit into that then he's not God or I don't want any part of him or I'm going to find another God. God has been dealing for thousands of years with people who have been forming alternative gods because they can't conceptualize this idea that he is the definer and the originator. Because we can't think that there was anything beyond before us, before we started, before the beginning of time. So therefore, if all things start with us, then definitions start with us. But all things don't start with us. That means definitions existed before us. And God calls us to walk in submission to those definitions of what is good and what is appropriate before him. Now we say, okay, I hear you, but um, what, what, what about the fact? What, what, what do you say to me who, 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 who cannot help the fact that I am attracted to somebody of the, of, of the same sex? Where do I fit? And, 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 and let's take it one further. What are you saying about people who were born, for example, with, with both male and female genitalia or, or reproductive systems in general? What are we saying about them? Because if God is a God who makes no mistakes, then surely God created people the, the, the way that they are. Here's the issue. The fall introduced corruption. And so the fact that we have what we have today does not point to the fact that God created it the way it is today. It points to the fact that whatever God had created was corrupted. And so we experience various levels of corruption. And so people are born blind. That is a corruption. People are born with deformities and and diseases that had nothing to do with them. That is a result of the corruption of the garden. And and, and so when when somebody's saying, but but, but this person was born this way, so God must be uh, 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 approving of it, we simply have failed to understand that God created a perfect system that was messed up by sin. And we are living in the consequences of corruption. And we see them in our lives today. So, what what do we say to you who have a same-sex attraction? What do we say to you 
who are born with certain things that you can't, you can't figure out how to, how to reconcile. We as the community of Every Nation Rosebank and the leadership of this church would say, we love you and you're home. This is home. We would then go a step further to say, let's walk a journey together of discipleship unto Christ-likeness. Which is the same thing that we would say to you who walks in and you like to steal. Which is the same thing that we'll say to you who walked in and you are living with your girlfriend. Or are in a, in a sexual relationship with somebody who's not your wife or your husband. Which is the same thing we would say to you who are, are, are practicing some level of corruption at, at, at work. Any level of sin we're saying if you are sinful, welcome. You're in good company. Look to your left. Look to your right. You will see somebody sinful. We are not here to class sin and to make it seem as though this sin weighs more or is above the other. God doesn't do that. What he requires of us is obedience and to be able to put our lives before him and to be willing to journey with him and he will make us look like his son. All the way from the murderer to the adulterer to the cheater to the sexually immoral to the you name it. All of us. And by the way, when the Bible talks about flee from sexual immorality and, we, and then we immediately box it into, okay, if I'm, a, if I'm attracted to that woman, I must flee. Or if I'm attracted to that man, I must flee. We want to make it clear that free, flee from sexual immorality includes those of you who are attracted to people of the opposite sex and includes those of you who are attracted to people of the same sex. The standard is the same. It is a, 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 a bar, a sinless bar that we only attain to by grace. Flee from all forms of sexual immorality and all forms of any identity that falls outside of what God originally created. Any deviation from what we saw right at the beginning is a result of a fallen world that we have to be willing to journey in ourselves, to outwork in ourselves, to, that, that we're journeying with Jesus to get us back to that picture of Eden. So I hope that that encourages you more than it puts you off and that, and that you are more willing to engage with us and not walk out thinking, I disagree with that and so therefore uh, I, don't, I don't belong here. In community, we engage. We engage even if we disagree. We're always just going to read the Bible to you and journey from where you are towards the, the image that the Bible holds up for us regardless of where, where you are or where you come from. Discipleship comes at a cost. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Father, that you love us enough that you wouldn't leave us where we are. 
you love us enough that you cause us to change, to be more like you, to be more like Jesus. I pray that for all of us, every single one of us, that we would receive your love that challenges us, that makes us feel uncomfortable until we get to a place where we behold ourselves in a mirror and we see you reflected back and you create wholeness in us. Help us to outwork in community. Help us to, 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 to delve in. Help us to go into the scriptures. Help us to receive prayer. Help us to confess. Help us to walk in transparency and vulnerability. All of these beautiful things that you've created in community. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.